Have you ever noticed that some of the greatest blessings that you ever experience in life are the ones that come out of absolutely nowhere? When God shows up in a way that you never expected. That's exactly how our church is. That's how I personally feel about Pastor Terry Cadwell. Pastor Terry and his wife Patsy have been a part of our church for years. Pastor Terry is my pastor, and I am so excited that this morning he's going to be speaking into the life of our church yet again. Every time he speaks, God shows up in a major way. So I want to ask you right now, as your pastor, if you will please stand to your feet and give a monster family welcome to Pastor Terry Cadwell. y'all. Thank y'all. I just noticed that was before my beard, so that was, I was a lot younger then. Uh, and uh, you know what? It embarrasses me when Max says those nice things about me. If, uh, in fact, next time I'm going to recommend that Deanne introduce me, because I know she won't say those nice things. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so that, that makes me feel, that, that it always embarrasses me. I don't know what to say. I mean, if somebody's saying nice things, what do you say? And, and especially when they're on a, I mean, he's not even here. I can't even argue with him about any of those things. By the way, that lady that was up there standing next to me, that gorgeous lady, Patsy, uh, tomorrow she will have been married to me for 52 years. Tomorrow. So, you know what? That's a, this pretty, pretty, pretty special, pretty special for us. And I think it's actually a, a miracle sort of that, that she's still married to me. Uh, God, and let me explain to you why, a little bit what, what I mean by that. Uh, God gave Patsy the spiritual gift of wisdom. And uh, the reason I think it's a miracle that she's still married to me is because for most of our married life, I didn't have any. Uh, I got some a couple years ago, but, uh, but I, I don't have any of the wisdom. And so, and so she's had to live with me now for 52 years, and I just think that's just real remarkable work, work of God. Also, I am glad to be here this morning. This is, uh, I'm trying to think how many weeks we've been in. This is the fourth week, I think, in, in this series that we're doing, that we've been doing about biographies, about uh, men and women in the Bible, and uh, their stories, and how those impact us today. And I'm so grateful that Mac asked me to come today and be part of this, part of this series let me ask you a question. You don't need to answer it because I know the answer is yes, anyhow. But, uh, but you can just think yes in your head when I ask this question. Ha- have you ever asked God to make you successful at something? Of course you have. Everybody does. Our kids, whenever they're facing some sort of a challenge, routinely they will call Patsy and I, and then they will, they will ask us to pray uh, about some situation that they're in, and usually then they define some what success looks like for them in that particular situation. Now, when they were younger and living at home, most of the times those requests for us to pray for their success, it had to do with school. In fact, I can still remember when Kevin was, uh, Kevin was in high school, and uh, he had a big test coming the next day, and, and, and Patsy said, son, let me pray with you. 
And so uh, he said, sure. And, and so Patsy, she, she, she stood there with him, put her hand up, up, up on his shoulder. And then she prayed. And one of the things that she prayed during this time praying for Kevin's test the next day was that, or that particular day, was that God would, God would give Kevin uh, the ability to, to remember the things that he studied. And so as Kevin, after Patsy said amen, Kevin walked toward the door. And then before he got to the door, though, he turned around and he said, Mom, I would rather you ask God to help me recall the things I haven't studied. And I thought, yeah, wouldn't we all? People have been asking God to help them, help make them successful for a long time. Moses said, God, give us success at what we're doing. Nehemiah, when he was building the walls of Jerusalem, he asked God to give them success at rebuilding the walls. Just about every day, I, I tell God, I said, God, you put me here at Lake Hills Church. Now, give me success at what you've given me to do. Did you know that if you are a Christ follower, God wants you to be successful? But did you also know that if God answers that prayer and makes you successful, that he will be trusting you with something that has the potential to undermine your relationship with God and pollute the success that he's already given you? Let's pray. Lord God, Father, as I come before you now, again, I come in the holy, awesome, incredible, matchless name of Jesus Christ, your son. And God, I thank you. I thank you that you have, have put me here at Lake Hills Church at this time. God, I thank you that you're giving me the opportunity to continue to declare your greatness to the next generation and even the next generation. And God, this morning, as we look into your word, God, teach us what you want us to learn. And don't let anything in me get in your way. Instead, Father, fill me with your spirit so I can clearly communicate what your truth is from your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, one of the most, one of the saddest success stories that I guess I've ever encountered had to do with a guy named Will. Now, by the way, his name is really not Will. Uh, that's not the name his mother gave him. Now, there really is a person that I'm referring to as Will. But I would not use his real name for fear that uh, he might hear this or watch, be watching this video. Or I mean, be watching us today online. And, and he would say, I didn't give Terry permission to tell my story. And so I very rarely use people's real name when I'm referring to them. Although they are real people. And so, Will is a real person, but that wasn't the name that his mother gave him when he was born. Now, when Will began as a sales rep, rep he was so serious about his relationship with the Lord. He was active in, in, in the ministries there at the church. Uh, he, 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 would, he would have his regular time with God, had a very healthy family life. But then, the more successful he became, the less interest he had in growing his relationship with God, and also in participating in the ministries of the church. He became 
a crummy husband, lost his marriage. He became a crummy dad, lost his relationship with his son. I can still remember walking with Will, leaving the church office one morning, and walking with Will, and he pointed out into the church parking lot that this, this brand new red some kind of sports car that I don't remember the, the make, but I, I remember thinking that car cost more than my house. And uh, he pointed at that car, and then he said, Terry, that's not worth it. Wow. You know, the same thing happened to a man named Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Now, God made Saul king And the job he gave Saul to do was to free God's people, Israel, from oppression by their enemies. And that's exactly what he did. The Ammonites and the Philistines and the Amalekites, they were either completely defeated or at least driven back where they belonged. Jonathan, who was Saul's son, should have been the second king of Israel. But that was never going to happen. And the reason was because Saul could not handle the success that God gave him. Well, one day, Jonathan was pledging his loyalty to David, who would be the second king of Israel. And look at what he said in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 13. Jonathan said, may the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. You know, folks, if as a dad, if I ever heard one of my kids say, may the Lord be with you as he used to be with my dad, that would break my heart. So how did Saul's success ruin both his relationship with God And his relationship with his son. And we're going to be in 1 Samuel. We're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, So if you you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, you're welcome to. The scripture passages will also be uh, right back up here behind me. You know, Saul never really wanted to be a king in the first place. Saul was, at this time, he was 30 years old. He was the son of a very wealthy landowner who was also a very influential figure in the, in the Jewish community. And really, all that Saul wanted to do was one day take over running the family farm. And so when he left home on this spring morning, all he wanted to do was find their missing donkeys. 1 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, there was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. His son, Saul, was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. Now, head and shoulders taller. Okay, at at this time, uh, the the average height for people in, in, uh, this would have been, about a thousand years before Jesus, uh, the average height was was about five four, five four and a half, uh, close to my size. So so Saul would have been then 
about 6'2". He was more macrochard size. And it says he was the most handsome man anywhere around. So he was tall, dark, and handsome. And he would have been a perfect candidate for the bachelor had that been around. Now, now, now Saul and his servant, they searched for days for those camels and they couldn't find them. So finally they went to see Samuel the prophet to see if he could help them find their donkeys. Did I just say camels or donkeys? I said camels, didn't I? Oh, shoot. And that's on tape too. You know, donkeys, okay? You know, we're talking about donkeys. So they, they looked forever and they couldn't, find their, they couldn't find their donkeys. So they went to the prophet Samuel to see if he could help them find their donkeys. But God had told Samuel the day before, he said, tomorrow there's going to be a really tall guy come from the tribe of Benjamin. His name is Saul. And I want you to anoint him king over Israel. So when Saul found Samuel, Samuel wasn't all that interested in talking about Saul's donkeys. Instead, he took, Samuel, he took Saul over by himself and he anointed him to be king over Israel. And then look what he told Saul next in 1 Samuel chapter 10 verse 6. Samuel told Saul, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. And you will be changed into a different person. But the new Saul, he didn't want to be king either. And so when Samuel called all of the tribes together for this big meeting to introduce them to their new king, Saul was hiding. They looked everywhere. Where's Saul? Where's Saul? When they finally found him hiding, they drug him out. And Samuel presented Saul to all of the people. And there he was. Tall, dark, and handsome Saul. And Samuel said, here's your king. Wow, what a king. He even looked like a king. And all of the people started shouting, long live the king. Long live the king. Long live the king. Now, we need to catch something here. The reason Saul looked like a king was because God created him to look like a king. You see, God created Saul. He gifted him and he appointed him for a special task. And that was to be the king of Israel. So he could free Israel from oppression by their enemies. Well, you know what? Saul did just that. In battle after battle, there weren't any of Israel's enemies who could stand up against him. Now, the New Testament says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So what do we need to learn from Saul? First, if you are a Christ follower, you also were created, gifted, and appointed by God to succeed at Something. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, we, talking about we who are Christ followers, we are God's masterpiece. 
He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. If you are a Christ follower, Ephesians 2.10 is talking about you. God made you exactly the way he did on purpose. So you would succeed at the good things that he planned for you to do before you were ever born. And also, as a Christ follower, God has put his Holy Spirit in you to, to empower you to actually do those good things. It may be as a son, it may be as a daughter, it may be as a student, maybe as an employee or, an, or, the, or the boss, as a husband, as a wife, as a friend or a neighbor, as a dad or a mom. The list of good things is endless. You were created, gifted, and appointed by God to succeed at something that God's Word says is good. You know, many times when we hear things like this, we say, but what about? And then we list all of the reasons that God must have made a mistake with us. But there's nothing about you that was a mistake. God made you just as you are to succeed at the good things that he has planned for you to do. Now, last week, Patsy said, you know, our problem is that we try and define what those good things are rather than letting God define them. And then she went on and she said, and then as a result, we miss out on all of the joy of being successful at what God wants us to be successful. That was kind of Saul's problem from the beginning. I mean, Saul's definition of good things was to be a successful farmer. But being a successful king was growing on Saul. In fact, the more Saul succeeded, the more respect and loyalty he received from his troops and from, and from their wives and from their children. Now, folks, this had to be a big deal for a guy who just a short time before couldn't even get a few donkeys to do what he wanted them to do. And now here he is looking out into the faces of all of these men, about 3,000. And they were ready to follow him anywhere. That felt really good. In fact, you know what? I doubt that Saul had ever before felt as good about himself as he did when he was standing up in front of those 3,000 men. And they were looking eagerly at him, just waiting for him to tell them, what do you want us to do, king? And we'll do it. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 21 says, a person is tested by being praised. And Saul, he didn't pass the test. One day, Saul had to choose between the respect and the loyalty and the praise of his men and his devotion and obedience to God. Samuel had told Saul to wait 
for him, to wait for Samuel, and then together they would start the next military campaign by asking God to bless them at this really big public sacrifice and worship event. But Saul's men got tired of waiting, and so little at a time they began to leave. Well, Saul, feeling pressure from his men, he went ahead without Samuel. And look at what Samuel said when he finally arrived. 1 Samuel 13, beginning in verse 13. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Saul chose to please his men rather than do what he knew God wanted him to do. And as a result, he lost the throne. Not just for him, but also for his son, Jonathan. But then, rather than learn from his mistake, he did the same thing again. In the next, the very next battle... He yielded to the pressure of his men rather than do what he knew God wanted him to do. And look at God's response. It's in 1 Samuel 15, 10 and 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Saul valued the praise and the loyalty of his men more than he valued his relationship with God. And it cost him dearly. It cost him the kingship. It cost him his relationship with God. It cost him the respect of his son. And ultimately, it cost him his life. So if all of the things that were written in the past were written to teach us, what else do we need to learn from Saul? The second thing we can learn from Saul is that lasting success at doing the good things that God has given us to do depends on our continued, undivided devotion to God. I've often heard it said that the good things in life are the worst enemies of the best for lack of time. And I agree with that. But I want to add something to it. The good things in life are also, are also the worst enemies of the best things for lack of heart. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus said, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Saul treasured the good things that came with his success. And if we treasure those good things too much... They will possess our heart. And so Jesus goes on in just a few verses later in verse 24. And he says, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You see, folks, success feels really good. Who doesn't want those feelings that come from success? And if we let it, it will steal the devotion that belongs only 
to God. So how do we keep that from happening to us? Like it happened with Saul. And like it happened with Will. That guy I told you about in the beginning. First, recognize the signs that success is stealing devotion that belongs to God. Now, there are several signs, but I only want to mention two. The first sign I want to mention is godly qualities replaced with ungodly ones. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. So God took the Holy Spirit away from Saul, and the good qualities that made Saul a good king were replaced with bad qualities. Qualities like jealousy and anger and and lack of self-control. Now, if you are a Christ follower, the same Holy Spirit lives in you that God put in Saul. And in Galatians chapter 5, we're told that that Holy Spirit living in you as a Christ follower will produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the Holy Spirit produces those qualities in a Christ follower to reveal that you are a Christ follower. And as a Christ follower, God promised you something he didn't promise Saul. God promised you that he will never abandon you. So we can be confident that God will never take his Holy Spirit from us like he took it from Saul. But the New Testament teaches we can quench the power of the Holy Spirit by living in disobedience to God. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul says, Do not quench the Spirit. If then, those qualities that reveal that you are a Christ follower, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if those are decreasing instead of increasing, then it may be because, because, you're, because we have allowed success to get in between us and our relationship and God, and we are quenching the Holy Spirit. You see, God doesn't take second place to anything. And if our devotion to God is taking second place to our love for success, then we are quenching the Holy Spirit. And those qualities, love, joy, peace, and all of those, those will begin to diminish rather than increase. So one sign that one sign that, that success may be stealing our devotion that belongs to God is when our godly qualities, it should be ours as, as Christ followers, when those begin to be replaced with ungodly ones. Now let's talk about another sign. And that would be spending less time using God-given abilities and gifts for the things of God. Now that's sort of what happened with Saul. He couldn't he couldn't do the things that God had given him to do 
that Samuel told him God wanted him to do. And at the same time, he couldn't do those. There was a competition set up between his men and doing those things. And so spending less time using God-given abilities and gifts for the things of God, that's something that could happen to us too. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, there's this one little phrase as Paul is writing to his, to his young disciple, Timothy. And look what he says. He says, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life. Now, let's catch what this is happening in this little bitty phrase. Demas was a companion of the apostle Paul. They were turning the world upside down. They were changing it forever. In fact, you and I are probably Christ followers. We could trace it all the way back. We, the reason we are Christ followers, we would have to go all the way back 2,000 years, and it probably started with the Apostle Paul. Demas was a part of that. I mean, folks, can you imagine being a part of that kind of ministry? So what happened? It says he loved the things of this Life too much. He loved his success. He loved, he, loved, he, he loved all of the things that God had blessed him with in this life. And there just wasn't enough time to get the most out of his successes in life if he remained attached to Paul and used part of his time in Paul's ministry. And so what did he do? He dropped out. He left. He left the ministry he had with Paul. Folks, I have lost count of the number of people like Demas who quit serving, maybe with kids, maybe with connect groups, Bible studies, mobilos and vicious, because they became so successful. There just wasn't enough time for ministry. Now, what if, as you look at your life, you recognize one of these, or maybe both, of these signs? Godly qualities being replaced with ungodly ones? Or maybe spending less time using God-given abilities and gifts for the things of God? What if you recognize, oh, my word, I see that happening with me. And what if you don't want to follow in Saul's footsteps? Then renew your pursuit of God. If success is stealing the devotion you used to have for God, then confess, confess it first to God. First, first admit it to yourself. And then after you admit it to yourself, that those signs are there. Oh, my word, I've let the devotion that belongs to God. I've let success get in the way of that. Admit it to yourself and then confess it to God. God, forgive me for letting my success get in the way, get in, in the way in, in, in my relationship with you. Come between you and me. And then ask God to help you recover your devotion to God. And then, start doing again the things you used to do before your success began competing with God for your heart. 
You see, the good things that come with success, they really are the worst enemies of the best things. So if you're successful, it's so important that you recognize the signs that success may be stealing the devotion that belongs to God. And when you recognize the signs, then renew your pursuit of God. You see, Saul had that opportunity. He could have done that. Now, he couldn't, he couldn't, have, he couldn't have regained the throne. That was taken from him. But he could have saved his relationship with God. And he could have saved the respect of his son. Samuel gave him an opportunity to turn things around. And Saul even confessed to Samuel that he had sinned. But his confession wasn't genuine. Because as soon as he confessed, then he begged Samuel to come back with him and stand with him in front of his men. So it says he wouldn't lose face with his men. You see, the praise and the respect of his men had such a grip on Saul's heart that he couldn't let it go. So, if you're successful, God has entrusted you with something that has the potential to undermine your relationship with God. And ruin the success that he's already given you. But you know what? That success doesn't have to come between you and God like it did for Saul. If the signs of success, success is completing with God for your heart, if those are there, you can renew your pursuit of God. But this is not something that you want to tell yourself, okay, I'll take care of that later. Because the longer you let success steal the devotion that belongs to God, the harder it will be to let it go. You can start turning that around today. Just tell God, God, I've let whatever it is get between me and you. Now, God, help me. Lord, help me recover the devotion that I used to have before success. God in the way. You can start that today. Now, if you are not a Christ follower, maybe you came to church, to Lake Hills Church today to kind of see what's going, going on here, see what this is all about because you've heard of it. Somebody's invited you to come to church and you're not a Christ follower. You know, I've been talking for about the last 25 minutes, I've been talking to Christ followers. But you can become a Christ follower today. And if you do, the Bible says that you will be recreated all brand new. You'll become a new person. And you will be empowered to do good things that God planned for you to do before you were ever born. That could start today. All you have to do is be willing to relinquish control of your life to the one who died for you. The Bible teaches that everything you have ever done wrong was put on the cross with Jesus Christ. All sin you will ever commit, it's there. If you believe that that's true, and if you believe that God really did raise him from the dead, if you believe that with your heart,
then all you have to do is be willing to ask Jesus to come in and be your Lord. Be your boss. That's what Romans 10, 9 says. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and at the same time believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. You can begin that today. You can begin doing the good things that God planned for you to do before you were ever born. And it all begins with one prayer. It all begins with just saying, Jesus, come into my life and be my boss. Be my Lord. Telling God, God, I've sinned. I know I've sinned. But Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord. Now, will you bow your heads? As your heads are bowed, if you're a Christ follower, and if you realize, if you recognize some of the signs that maybe your success is stealing the devotion that really belongs, or some of the devotion that really belongs to God, and you recognize the signs, then right now I just want to encourage you to just tell God that you recognize that, ask Him to forgive you, and ask Him to help you recover that devotion that you once had for God. If you're not a Christ follower, you can become one right now. Just whisper a prayer to God. Whisper, just say, Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord. You can ask God to forgive you because Jesus took care of all your sin. And then ask Jesus to come into your life and be your Lord. Now we give you just a few seconds to do that right now. While everybody's heads bowed and everybody's eyes are closed, just ask Jesus. Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord. And then after you do that, there's two things I would like for you to do. One is on the, that Connect card that you received when you came in the door. Take that Connect card. Fill out the information the con- uh, your information about you, contact information, and please write it so that I can read it. And then, and then somewhere down there, there, about a third of the way down, there's a little box that you can check that says, I committed my life to Christ this week. Check that box. And then when you, as you go to leave, give it to somebody, give that card to somebody with a blue shirt or take it out to the hub and hand it to them. You can begin that spiritual journey with Jesus today. And we want to know about it so I can call you and we can help you with some important next steps in your spiritual journey. So that's one thing I would ask you to do before you leave. A second thing. If you just asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your Lord, would you just raise your hand? You don't need to look up. Just raise your hand high in there. It, it, it marks this day as the day that you asked Jesus to be your Lord, July the 21st, 2019. Today, God, I ask Jesus to be my Lord. And it lets God know you're serious enough to raise your hand. Just put your hand up there. Leave it for just a little bit. Now then we have a tradition around here at Lake Hills Church, and that is when you put your hands down, we put ours together. 